Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayo. Now, in this episode, which is going to be a roundtable discussion, we haven't done one of those for a while, this is essentially a continuation of the Q&A discussion we had, which was kind of a continuation of the Monthly Comics Spotlight. But some of the last questions we got from Brawlinator really sparked a lot of thoughts on my end. And one of his questions was, you know, as a longtime listener, he'd noticed we'd had kind of less enthusiasm for a lot of the books we were reading and wondered if that was true and why it is. And we kind of addressed that on the, the Q&A one. And the short answer is, yeah, we're, I at least am a lot less enthused and I chalk it up to, I'm not the target audience. The books aren't as good, but then he had a final question and that's what we're going to address in this episode. And it's, it's a big one. So I'm going to put it out there. Then we'll do a little chit chat and then we'll actually get to it. It's basically what changes could modern comics make that would excite you or could improve the reading experience for you. Now, James, I've had a little more time to think about it since we last recorded, which was, what, two days ago? Yeah, is ago. I'm not going to say my thoughts are fully gelled, but this is something I do have just a lot of thoughts on. Is it something you've got a lot of thoughts on, just a couple of ideas? Where are you at on this? I do. I have a lot of thoughts because it's just a lot of things with society, younger readers, our readership, and how we can fix it. But I'm like you. I got it all over the place. Can we... can you know, condense it down and get something concrete, we'll see shortly. (laughs) I reorganized my notes a couple of times. I'm not going to say I've got things in any particular order, but I've kind of grouped things into a couple of of major kind of... I I, I listed them as rants. I don't think they're rants. They're constructive feedback, criticism. And for everyone, I tried to start with a a bullet point of, of what it is, go into a little detail after it, and then end with an actionable you know, statement or, or suggestion or really the, the paradigm shift in some cases that I think needs to happen. Because there's a couple where if I just say do X, somebody could do X without really understanding the why behind it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not going to fix the problem. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because as we were kind of, we had set this up to be the last thing we talked about. And we I, we're, we were both talking and saying, this could be a whole episode. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, here it is. You know, w- when you walk into it, one of the things that, that, that just you know clicked in my head was I, I'm part of a Gen X group on Facebook. You know, there's all these groups on Facebook, and I join a few of them, mostly like my sports groups. You know, mm-hmm. but Gen X they always post funny stuff about our generation. I know you're Gen X too. We're not that far apart. Yeah, a few years if that. Yeah, yeah. And so you know they joke around, they talk. It, it, what I can't remember, but they were talking about reading and stuff like this. And at one point, and there were like about. 15, 20 teachers who chimed in saying kids today don't read. You know, parents will make them read sometimes, you know, forcibly make them read. But given the option of a tablet or a screen versus reading, they don't read. And that's essentially different than you and I, how we grew up. Well, I can take it a step further. I had a discussion with my sister last night because she came over, we watched some TV and such. And she was telling me about a headline she saw, and she hadn't clicked in. And I told her, please do, and give me some details. I'm curious. Yeah. It was about some parents who took their kids out of a school 
because of the objectionable material they were being taught. And it's like, what on earth were they being taught? What was so objectionable? Because there's a lot of things I can see getting up in arms about and stuff like that. Yeah. It was reading. Reading. <laughs> how to read and how to write. They wanted to unteach their kids that. It's crazy. In my state, we have like, you know, books that are being actively blocked here in Florida. Yeah. And some of them are very popular things that we grew up with, like Lord of the Flies is blocked from being in schools. And to me, that's like classic literature. You know, <laughs> It's not classic, but it, it's something we grew up and we read it. You know, we, we I, th- I think I was made to read it in one of my classes. Oh, yeah. Uh, for our age group, that was one of the things that was, you know, in high school, everyone's kind of got to go through that and stuff. And I, I think forcing kids at that age to go through any book defeats the purpose of actually going through the book because they're not going to want to do it. They're not going to get out of it what they should. And I'm not in favor of banning books. That having been said, I do think there are some types of books that ought not to be widely available. Yeah, I, 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 could, I can understand that. I can agree with that. Some of the stuff, though, it, it, it's, it's just the last time I, I was sitting there thinking about it, and I said, when was the last time we had a reading boom and a real reading boom? Because we've had TV shows take off left and right and movies and whatnot. And the last one I can think of is Harry Potter. That's exactly what I was going to go with, yeah. That was the phenomenon, and that was the millennials, and that was like my sister. And all of those kids who were millennials read Harry Potter. It wasn't just the the kids. I remember driving to work and stuff, and on the radio, the the DJs were were getting all into it. It's a big thing. They heard about it. They wanted to read it. and Parents are reading it. And, uh, yeah. Everyone was reading it. And, and we haven't had that since. So you got this Gen Z coming up now. and. Th- they don't. They really don't read. <laughs> I mean, that they don't. But to to get to the point where parents don't want their kids to know how to read, we're not at a post literate society yet, which is insane. Yeah, not wanting them to know how to read is just. What about when the electricity goes out, man? Come on. <laughs> don't you need to read the menu options on the the device to figure out how to have it play the video or whatever? I mean, it's just. We're Go not, to McDonald's and order something off the menu. You, you, do you point at the picture? Uh, uh. Well, when I'm in a foreign country, yeah, maybe, but, <laughs> but you're, not because I don't country. want to know how to read. Yeah, in your home country, you don't want to just be pointing at pictures. Come on, man. Oh. Well, and it's funny because I do think a lot of the problems we have in comics these days are generational to a large degree, and I think specifically generational around editors. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. And I'm going to have a lot of comments on, you know, writers should do this or whatever. But for everything I'm going to go through and say, the bottom line is the buck stops at the editor. They're the ones in charge of getting the book out. Yes, they are. They're the one at the, in charge of getting the book out and kind of in control of what they're letting happen inside of that narrative universe Abs- a little bit. Absolutely. That's part of the job is to shepherd the characters across yeah. creators and such. Exactly. And, and, and I say a little bit because you do have editors at Image, but they're not doing that. They're just helping make sure that they're not making mistakes, you know? Okay, fair point. We, we've got creator-owned works at Marvel and DC. Yeah. We've got or uh, corporate-owned ones there, and we've got creator-owned stuff elsewhere. And exactly. there are different rules for those. Exactly. And Yeah, so depending on where they are, it, it changes a little bit. But overall, I, I know exactly where you're going with that. But there's still certain things about what a story is, what a story's got to do, that whether you are the editor who hired the creative team or the editor who was hired by the creative team, your job, while your ability to enforce what you say is very different, 
your job remains the same of making sure it's a well-told story and going to do well when it hits the audience. Exactly. Cohesive, well, well-written, and you're not leaving any gaping plot holes so that when you and I pick it up, they knew where they were, where they were going, but the reader doesn't know where they're going. <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, for me, it, it really all comes down to kind of my, my, my first real rant. And this, this is based on a book title I saw once. And for the life of me, I can't find the actual book. Okay. But it was something around how a story is a contract. Okay. And in my mind, a story is a contract. That makes sense. As a reader, I need to accept the premise of the story, and then everything should kind of flow from there. I mean, hopefully in a reasonably logical way. Yeah. Now, in order for me to accept that premise, I need to clearly understand the premise. Now, in the realm of comics, if it takes an issue or two to get to that premise point where they've laid it out and kind of that elevator pitch part has happened and now we're kind of into the story proper or whatever, that makes it harder for me to really buy into the story if I'm a ways into it, still kind of, well, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, when, we, when we did the last monthly spotlight, I talked about the barbarians as one of mm-hmm. the questions. And that was exactly that point, is we had this whole action set for the whole first issue. And I don't know where we're going with this. And, and, and so that would be a fail on that part because they've broken the contract to me. I don't know if I'm in on the story or not. And I may be in on it if I'm reading a trade paperback, but in a monthly format, I feel like I don't have that contract yet. Now, it's one thing if you need the full issue to really set the scene, build up the the backstory to where there's the context for that kind of moment at the end. Yeah. I've read tens of thousands of comics, and I can think of only one example where I felt that really held true, where that moment at the end that kind of spun things and launched us into the story proper, that was the right choice on, on where to put it and how to do it. So this probably was not that instance. No, that was <laughs> not. It was it was many moons ago. Yeah. <laughs> For that kind of rarity, you could see this is probably just a, a guy writing for for the trade. Literally, that, that's what we call it, writing for the trade. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I'm not reading the trade. Yeah. Well, I'll get to that in one of my later ones. Um, okay. <laughs> But, I mean, for me, what I expect from the creative team is that the story's got to flow logically from that premise. And each installment of the story adds things to that implicit contract, specifically the history of events in that installment. Now, as a reader, I'm operating on good faith that the story that the creators put out there is, in fact, the story they're telling and intending to tell, and I'm expecting them not to waste my time. That makes sense, where they don't do a bait-and-switch or... Uh, by the way, haha, we, it was a dream. <laughs> it was a dream. I mean, if they start with it's an imaginary story, that's one thing, because that's now part of the premise. Yeah. If it's at the end and it's a reset button, that's kind of a cheat, and that's annoying. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> you know, or if I thought they were telling a mystery story and really it was just a MacGuffin to tell me a horror story or a romance or whatever. That's a cheat, yeah. <laughs> it's not what I bought in for. Exactly. Now, part of that story contract is the implicit expectation that the creators will finish the story. Yes, that is a contract in that I've been frustrated by that many a times, as you have. Yes, a couple of times <laughs> it's like, oh, we'll just abort. And it's like, but but I, I, I've invested this much time and energy, you know, don't do that. Now, that's a one-way expectation. Yes. Creators have no right to expect the readers to stick around till the end of the story. 
because the readers are the consumer, the patrons of the story, and they can leave at any time. I would agree with that. And that's something that I think often the creators just lose sight of. Yeah, they, they expect that once you've bought issue one, and I don't, I don't say this you know, begrudgingly or, or out of any animosity, but I think they expect you as the reader to be there at issue 17. And if they haven't given us a good story, of course we're sampling and we're not going to stick around if it's not what we wanted and not what we expected based on the solicit. Exactly, exactly. I mean, for me, the, the actionable point of this is creators need to have a clear premise a story should flow logically from the premise according to the established rules of that narrative universe, which could be different from one narrative to another. It should have a solid payoff to justify the time invested in the story. Anything else is a breach of that story contract. I would agree. I like that. So that that was uh, rant number one. Rant number one. <laughs> I got others. You got some? Yeah, I got something. Okay, mine are much more simplistic, what I wrote down, because at the beginning, I didn't know we were going to do a whole... Fair enough. You told me you got pretty invested in this question. Okay, the first thing I wrote down, this was my first thing. I said, hire real writers. And by real writers, I mean real comic writers. Because it seems like the current trend has been to go hire a popular novelist. Hey, let's hire this person who mm. wrote Goose, Goosebumps or Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote XYZ, whatever this book sells really well. Yeah. And no, no offense to Ta-Nehisi Coates, but when he came in as a comic writer, you could tell he had not written comics before. And after a year or two, you saw he got his feet underneath him. But that's, I I felt like we took this guy who's popular, we expected that we're going to grab his audience from over here in the writing world, and we're going to bring him over, you know, generate into comic sales. For me and you, the people who've been reading these comics for years, you know, give the guy some training, team him up with, Whoever, you know, Jonathan Hickman or, or Jeff Johns. Or a solid editor. Yeah, a solid ed- editor. I mean, or just hire someone who's written comics, who knows how to do the monthly, da, 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 here it is. You got to have a premise in the first issue so that it hooks them to come back for the second. And I feel like that's not being done right now. We're, being, we're getting new, new creative teams based on almost like the gimmick right now. And, and that happens a lot. That, that's a great one. It's not one of the ones on my list, although I touch points around that, but not that specifically, because I, I think you're right. Novelists are, are one breed of writer, and I love reading me a good novel. Yeah. Movie writers, television writers, those are related, but also distinct skill sets from one another because of the, the length of the story, the timetable, etc. And those are closer to comics, but still very different. I remember when Bilson and DeMeo, the, the team behind the 90s Flash TV show, were given the Flash comic book title. Okay. They had no idea how to write a comic. <laughs> the concept of page turns, how much can you put in a panel, those sorts of things. It's not just a TV show on paper. It's literally not. It's a different skill. You have 20, 22 pages. You have to make it engaging. You have to maybe leave a little bit of a cliffhanger for the next issue or some type of... Some Here's kind com- of hook. Com- hook, hook of some kind. And you got to do that elevator pitch in that first issue. And they're thinking of the elevator pitch that's going to be on the sixth issue, the aha moment. And that's six months from now, man. (laughs) I'm not going to be here. (laughs) I'd have to go back through their run, which lasted 12, maybe 13 issues, I think. Yeah. And I'm curious how much story was in there versus, say, the pilot episode of the 1990s Flash series. Yeah. I'm interested, too. 
And, and I'll tell you what, it's been it, since we've been doing the monthly comic and we used to do the weekly comic spotlight, mm-hmm. I can't even think of the number of times where either you or I have said, hey, it was okay, but I think it's going to read much better as a trade. <laughs> or it's the middle chapter of an ongoing arc. There wasn't much that happened here. That's It's like a continual thing. And we, it, we sound like broken records, but that tells me that the person doesn't know how to write a comic, per se. Well, and I, I want to touch on that a little, because I do think one of the things that may have changed my view on and enthusiasm on comics was flipping from the weekly comic spotlight to the monthly comic spotlight. Okay. Because when we did the weekly comic spotlight, we would pick a DC, a Marvel, and an indie every week, and we would focus on those, do an in-depth on the issue or whatever, and then we wouldn't come back to that particular title in most cases for quite some time. Now, when we do the monthly comic spotlight, every month we're talking about a pretty fair majority of what we're reading every month. Yeah, uh, quite a few. We we touch on, I would say, two-thirds at least. At least. And so we hit the same titles month after month after month, and there comes a point where they're still in the same story. <laughs> Why am I still getting this? <laughs> and I got more on that later, but it does change my perspective on the comics on just how much is happening every month. Yeah, I, I, I think going to the monthly format made me cut more. Because when we are doing the weekly comic spotlight, I never knew and you never knew what we wanted to review five months from now. How we were doing good to have it two weeks out, yeah. Exactly. So I tended to keep things on my reading list just in case you wanted to review it, mm-hmm. just in case it got better. And, and as soon as we went to this monthly thing where you would talk about some books that I didn't get, I talk about some books you didn't get, I just said, why am I getting this? Get rid of it. Done, done. Yeah, yeah. and that's the right choice. Yeah, and so I, it really slimmed down my list, which, and I feel better about what I'm reading now. Good, good. All right, my next thing is is around the art. The art, okay. The art is the lens through which we see the narrative world. Yes. Keep it consistent. I would agree. <laughs> yes, please. There used to be a house style. I don't even think it needs to be a house style per se, and I'm not necessarily against a house style. Yeah. I mean, Archie uh, famously had one, and it worked great for them. But few things can get between me and a story more than an art style that just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I would agree. I, you know what's so funny? I just read a comic. I told you I was going to wait to read my May comics. Mm-hmm. I read, and this is not really a spoiler. I'm not going to talk about the story. Amazing Spider-Man 25. And it was it was a bigger issue. And I opened it up. I'm like, man, the art's gotten much better. JRJR's doing great. And I get halfway through the book, and then I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> What happened here? And I come to realize that there's two different artists on the book. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's what happened. But it was so jarring. But it happened in a manner where I'm like, apparently, anytime Peter shows up in the book, we're just going to trash the art. Well, and that was my next point on this is, you know, one of those things is a sudden and drastic shift in the art style. Oh, it, it can be so, it can pull you out of the story. It can completely boot you out. And sometimes even a subtle one can knock me out of the story without me fully realizing why that happened. Yes. Yeah, it really can. So the art has to be consistent. And it doesn't have to be photorealistic per se, but like if Seisman Kudransky, he just came to my name or to my head, if he did the art and let's say he something happened and you know he had some medical work and he's going to be out for three months and you have a new guy come in, make him the art style similar. And they, they can kind of ape each other a little bit. Uh, it doesn't have to be identical, but someone in that in that vein. Don't yeah. just throw in someone who 
has a cartoon style, you know, a manga style. That would not make sense. And it's not about is the art good or bad. It's does it fit the property? Yeah. I didn't have any problem with the art on Squirrel Girl. You put that same artist on Tim Drake Robin, doesn't work for me. (laughs) With those big googly eyes. (laughs) I mean, imagine if you were to take, say, George Perez around, say, the time of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and Sergio Aragones (laughs) from Gru, (laughs) and flip their assignments for a month. Oh my gosh. Now, both do crazy detail and are good artists in their own right. Yeah. It's not a question of good. It's a question of it's jarring and almost it it pulls you out of the story that you're reading. Imagine going through your day and halfway through it, suddenly everything looks different. You know, it's got a red tint or it's all uh, in sharper focus or blurrier or something like that. Or heck, wearing your glasses on the way to work and then taking them off on the drive home. (laughs) I had my dad over ages ago after I'd gotten a projector TV or whatever. And it was right as the high def stuff was starting to come in on on uh, the networks. Oh yeah! And I had him over so we could watch the uh, the final four for basketball. And most of the shots they had the high def cameras. When they had the camera that was on the backboard for the free throws, low def. Oh, on a wall sized image. And you could see the difference. <laughs> oh my my god! Did my dad really comment on that? Of what happened there? <laughs> This looks great, but those shots, you know, because it's, it's <laughs> jarring. That's funny. Yeah, it, it, but it's true. And that's the same thing. If you have a, a, light, a writer or an artist with a clean line, very detailed art, and someone who's more, for the back of, lack of a better word, uh, loose and free and mm-hmm. like, like a, a cartoonish style, it, it, that's not going to work. And sometimes you'll see that in the same book. And, yeah. and that, that's where it really just... Oh, you know, it hits you in the gut. You're like, what happened here? Well, now, a more subtle variation on this is if a visual technique has been established for, say, how a power works or for some other aspect of this narrative universe, then the artist should use that technique. Oh, it, it, what, are you, what are you referring? Well, like, like what? Uh, Superman's heat vision classically was a red beam of energy emanating <gasps> from his eyes. That's true. Yeah. Until it wasn't. Ah, yeah, that, that's true. When... They should keep it the red eyes if it's the red eyes. Don't change it. Whatever it is. When Nightcrawler bamfs, it's a blue-black cloud of smoke or whatever. If it's suddenly orange, using coloring as an example, or... Or lightning bolts. Or or lightning bolts. One of my pet peeves is Spot, the the Spider-Man villain. Yeah. His power is kind of the Acme portable hole from the the Roadrunner uh, Coyote cartoons. Yeah. They are discs. They have a nice, sharp edge. Keg. It's a it's a clearly defined circle. Except when the artists don't feel like doing that, and it's kind of blobby, they kind of overlap, they do these sorts of things, and I'm like, no, that's wrong. That's not how it looks. <laughs> you know, yeah. when the book club did the second part of the Lightning Saga, we had comments on how Black Canary's Canary Cry just looked really weird. Yeah, like, this isn't how it should be. <laughs> now, that having been said, I'm not sure I could describe off the top of my head what it should look like, but that wasn't it. That was the wrong one, for sure. Now, after a reboot of a character, the visual language of the powers can change, but we'll get to my thoughts on rebooting characters later. The bottom line is there are certain things, visually and iconographically, I mean, Spider-Man's webs go thwip, Wolverine's claws go schnicked. That's That's just how it is. Uh, Nightcrawler goes bamf. Very true. You know, (laughs) that's established, that's the way it works. You Love it or hate it, don't care, stick to it. Now, Very good. Like you can ev- you can evolve it, but there's tricks to doing that. Now, artists can and should have a style, 
but they also need to understand anatomy and spatial relations. Very true. And I've seen too many things where somebody's crossing a street that's about a football field wide or something, or there's this, you know, 10 by 10 foot open area for a fight scene in the middle of a jumbo jet. That doesn't work. Or somebody's arms and legs are not the right proportion, or their biceps are, you know, the size of a barrel or something. It's just insane. Yeah. Even Brawlinator on the uh, Slack channel has posted some art, and he's like, what happened here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're just like, I don't know. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I try not to point out too much because <laughs> people can't unsee it. Yeah, it's true. That It's just like with Rob Liefeld. Once someone pointed out the feet, now that's all I see anytime it's his art. I look at the feet the first thing. Well, if you look at any room he's drawn, the doors, shift walls, that sort of a thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, to me, the biggest offender of this sort of consistent art was Keith Giffen when he was doing the Legion of Superheroes. And at some point, and I do not recall exactly when it was, and I don't know, Jason might be able to point it out to me. If he could, I'd appreciate it. Mid-issue, he shifted art styles. Oh, God. And it went from a fairly clean, crisp style to a literally in-your-face, Kirby-esque, exaggerated kind of a thing. Oh. I mean, to where you would see a panel, and it's like somebody's eye or maybe part of their nose kind of close-ups, and it it was just wild. Yeah, that's just not good. (laughs) I remember you guys talking about that before. I think it was on the book club you were talking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. If it flipped the other way, I'd still be, uh, you know, what the hell happened, I'd be okay with the outcome. But the what the hell happened is the problem. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you completely. So, actionable thing on this, artists should maintain a consistent, if ever-evolving, style while working on a project. Editors should hire artists that can maintain a consistent artistic style for the project over time. I would agree. And often... Editors explicitly choose not to do that, to have the visual difference kind of reset the title or something like that. Unless the art sucks or is not to my liking, and those are different things, I generally don't think you should do that. If you've got to do it because of that, you already goofed. Yeah, it's true. Very true. Now, I had a couple things that, you know, like what changes could modern comics make that would excite me? Mm -hmm. And I tried to think about one other thing. For people who aren't like you and I, ordering comics from a discounter or or going to their local comic shop and picking up the comics every month. We got Chris, Chris Marshall, who's part of the the book club and he's part of the Slack channel. Chris or Myers. Not, or not Chris Marshall. Chris Marshall Chris did the Collector's Sorry. Comic Library. Sorry, I'm butchering everyone's name. Sorry. I did that to uh, Marvin slash Martin the other day Yeah, I recorded. I, I, I'm butchering everyone's name, so my, my apologies. Sorry about that, Chris. <laughs> well, Chris Myers, no, he reads exclusively digitally. Mm-hmm. He gave all of his comics away to like libraries, I think it was, or to his grandkids, which was really cool. And he moved into like a condo. He's retired and just wanted to downsize. And he loves getting digital comics. But I noticed that him and a few other people have been just so disappointed, upset with the way that digital comics are handled through what used to be Comixology, which went away, is now Amazon Books, where they make it very difficult to purchase comics, very difficult to read. I don't know what the problem was, but it seems like Lock, Stock, and Barrel, that's gone to Amazon. And Amazon is built for books. I don't think they're built for single-issue comics. And so I don't know if Marvel, DC, or some other entity would like to start maybe doing comics again digitally because... Right now, it feels like it's broke, and there's a lot of complaints around that. And single-issue comics that are digital, 
should not be $399. I agree with that complaint. Well, part of that is in the digital realm, because all the apps go through either the Amazon's or not the Amazon, the uh, Google Store or the Apple Store, you've got to pay the Piper and they get like a 30% cut of in app purchases, I believe. Ah. Uh, and that adds up. That adds up quite a bit. That's you why would... they cut the in-app purchases for the Kindle stuff or whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. Like, you go to a website, you buy the books, then you download them, and then you read them. That that makes sense. And I guess it's just frustrating for the, the readers who are, are digital readers right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just a barrier. Things have gotten more difficult on that. And, I, of course, Marvel and DC have an unlimited app. There's a lot of other publishers, and I noticed a lot of my enjoyment right now, like Department of Truth, the last thing I was really excited for. That's not a Marvel or DC thing. I can't get it on those apps. I think the independent publishers need to gather together. They have to. Get their own streaming or their their subscription service kind of going in a way that's equitable to them and gives them a chance to kind of compete with Marvel and DC. I think that has to be done. They have to go all in on that with like, Dark Horse and Image, and uh, if IDW is still standing, who knows? They need to come together and create a competing service that's similar to that, because it seems like that's what stuff is going towards, whether it's music and people are paying for Pandora or or uh, SoundCloud or whatever streaming app they're listening to. Nobody really buys individual stuff anymore. I can tell you there have been attempts to make that sort of thing happen in terms of like an umbrella digital thing or other ways to get the the smaller publishers working together, they've always fallen apart. It just the people involved, the politics involved, it it's unlikely to happen, which is a shame. And I think it's eventually going to put that sector of the the industry out of business if they're not careful. Yeah, I I would agree with that because as we go to a non-reading and I hate to say that, but a, a non-reading future or a less reading future, we'll call it that, an all you can read app for people who actually do enjoy it, it seems like the only avenue. Uh, whether whether that's uh, Kindle Unlimited for books or Marvel Unlimited or DC Unlimited, it seems like it, that's an eventuality and selling these libraries of s- stuff and get a few pennies here and there versus getting zero, getting nothing. Well, and I think with Comixology out of the picture, the smaller publishers are the ones that suffer from that. Again, yes. Marvel and DC have kind of shot themselves in the foot with their subscription services because I really don't think there's an incentive to go buy the digital copy of Action or Batman or Avengers or Fantastic Four or X-Men, when for the cost of two or three of those individual issues... You, you can, can have it all. <laughs> have it all, yeah. Exactly. That's the, the way to do it. <laughs> I mean, as a user, as a reader. Well, that's the way the publishers set it up, so they, they made their bed, they got to lie in it, you know? Exactly. What's next up in your list? All right. My next one, and, and this may be either controversial or not, I don't know. Publish ongoing titles. Yeah, I would agree with that. And not ongoing titles where they relaunch it after 12 or 20 issues. Well, I mean, to me, this should be obvious, but I guess it isn't these days. If you want me as a long-term reader of a title, the title must be published for the long term. Yeah. I, I, you, I can't tell you the number of things solicited right now are a five-issue miniseries, six-issue miniseries from both the big two, and a lot from Image. They, they come out from day one, one of five. Well, it's funny you say that because right now, I mean, DC has very few ongoing titles, and most of them are either renumbered recently. Justice Society, Superman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow are just about to. Titans, actually, I guess just was now. Flash, Wonder Woman. Get renumbered. Yes. Some of these new volumes are just miniseries, not ongoing. Yeah. 
Marvel's not much better off. Nope. I mean, recent Marvel renumberings include Fantastic Four, Doctor Strange, Avengers, with a few more on the horizon like Daredevil. I can't stay on a title that ends after a story arc or two. Yeah. I'll never forget you said this multiple times when we were recording. I didn't cut my list. They did. (laughs) Yeah. Because literally you just said, I decided not to add anything new on my reading list. And so as they cut the titles, well, now I only have 30 titles to read. (laughs) It's not that I haven't added anything new. I've just been arguably a little more selective on it. And I think some of that's I've been more jaded. So fewer things look like a, hey, I should add that. Yeah. And if you do that, eventually your list gets smaller and smaller and smaller because the publishers are ending them. Most of the other publishers don't even bother with the pretense of trying to keep a narrative universe going for any length of time longer than an arc or two. Yeah. Like like the only thing that you can think that's really long term right now that I can think of that hasn't been renumbered at some point because even action got renumbered, you know, and then went back to the old number It is Spawn. And honestly, I don't like like reading that. (laughs) But it's still going. (laughs) Well, I mean, we've hit that point of a a growing forest of dying trees. Yeah. Overall landscape of comics often appears somewhat healthy. I don't think it is, but some people insist that it is. Yet most titles can't survive for any meaningful length of time these days. So I I took my April list of books. Okay. And said, okay, let's compare this month of April 2023 to last year's April 2022. Okay. And looking at the same title volume, so not including any different volumes of the same title. I only have six of the same title volume from DC, you know, Action, Batman, Detective, Flash, Nightwing, and Wonder Woman. Only three from Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man, Wolverine, X-Men, and only one from the other publishers, which was Walking Dead Deluxe. Yeah, which is a rehash. (laughs) Go back another year to April 2021, same six DC titles, only Wolverine from Marvel, and only Walking Dead Deluxe from Image. Wow. Some of this is sometimes titles skip over a month, so they may have been in, you know, March or May or something of of those years, but not April. I just picked a month and said, let's go with it. Wow. Eye-opening. Now, some people are going to say, well, you've been dropping titles and stuff. Not really. I mean, I I may have dropped a title or two here or there, but again, the overwhelming majority of, of the turnover of my titles I'm getting is the turnover in the titles published. Yeah, that's that's really eye-opening. You know, and I started thinking, okay, when I was thinking about hiring better writers or hiring, you know, how how do we fix this problem? Ultimately, you know, you get down to it. We had talked about people want to get paid and their families and their futures, and it's hard to make money, you know, in the, the comics world. I would say when back when you did the numbers, you know, DC and Marvel cut titles when they got below X, X sales figure. But I don't think 20,000 issues was a hard bar to hurdle. And I think the, the, the big books routinely stayed over 20,000, but they relaunched and did the special covers for the 150,000 or whatever, you know, the special, you know, we're going to be number one on the charts. But we, at 20,000, let's say they're making two bucks per issue because, you know, you cut that price in half because they're selling it at a discount and selling it through here. I just took two bucks just for the heck of mm-hmm. it because comics are, are more than $4 right now on average. And that's 20,000 or I mean, uh, 40,000 a month. That's half a million a year on a comic for 12 issues. And if a company like Marvel or DC, yeah, they're not making boatloads of money, but they still have to be making money. Keep the title going and make the story better versus cutting it and relaunching it for the, for the new number one. Because I think the cutting and relaunching and that short-sightedness for the quarterly profits for the hitting the number one book has killed the readership. Well, let's, let's take 
those titles they got in April 2023. Okay. Of those, the ones I expect to be available for me to get in April 2024? Yeah. About 7 DC, maybe 8 from Marvel, and maybe 4 other titles from the other publishers. Not so very many. Everything else, miniseries or one-shot or something like that, that I know isn't going to be around. Now, when I was in high school, I wrote a program, and it was not crazy sophisticated, to estimate my comic book spend for the future. Okay. It's, I'm getting these books, Legion comes out on the third week, Batman on the second week, you know, X-Men's a fourth week book, or whatever they were at the time. And everything was basically monthly, there were one or two that were bi-weekly or whatever, so I could basically say, this is the last time they came out, so let's go to the next fourth week, let's go to the next fourth week, put them there, yada yada, and... Titles didn't change all that often. Miniseries were still fairly rare. I could use it to estimate what I'd be spending and getting a year or more out. Yeah. It wasn't perfect, but the amount it was wrong by then would be about the same amount it would be right by now. Yeah. It, it, it feels like right now, the comics stuff that we're seeing, the gimmicky covers, the relaunches and all that, it feels so 90s, which led to the, the biggest implosion we ever saw. I mean, think about it. To keep me as a reader, the creators and the publisher have to keep selling me on new titles because they don't or can't keep the old ones going. It's insane. I mean, I I think back to when I was first started reading, you know, if I wanted to read the Hulk, there was the Hulk, Incredible Hulk. And and if you wanted to read Batman, there was Batman. And and that was it. And and you could read Detective and Brave and the Bold until it flipped over to Batman and the Outsiders. And that was a big deal. That was yeah, that was a big. Now it's just like, oh, that's what they're doing this month. Yeah. And it, right now, I pick a character. You know, Captain America. You can read him in three titles right now, uh, and he'll probably be in the Avengers too. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's 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 getting to where it has that '90s feel with the gimmicks and the covers and the da, 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 and the rush to be this. And I think it's good. It's really damaging. Really, really damaging. And speculators get burned on out on that stuff, even though it's exciting for a while. I think you could look at a number of properties. Avengers, Fantastic Four, Daredevil. I'm sure there are some equivalent ones over on the DC side, where the number of number ones of that title exceeds the length of the shortest of those runs. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane, isn't it? I could be wrong. We may not be there yet, but we're not that far. Yeah. Because, uh, again, for like some of the Marvel stuff, they had the one year of the Heroes Reborn. So once you've gotten past that 12th number one of something, and for some of them, we're very close to that, if not there, it just it boggles the mind. Yeah, it really does. And, and, and you know, all these things, that's, that's the big two breaking their ongoing property, and that's true. This is breaking the sales model. I don't know if it's breaking the property. The, not the property. I'm sorry. Yeah, breaking almost the habit and break, giving jumping off points as well as jumping on points. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, new number ones can be a great jumping on point, but the final issue of a volume is a natural jumping off point. Jumping off points work better than jumping on points. Yeah. Period. Especially based on the creative team, because when they say... Let's say I was reading Scarlet Witch, and then they say Scarlet Witch, Steve Orlando, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was good, and it was good for you. You said it's good, and I trust your opinion. But that lost me as a reader, where maybe I would have been a reader, you know? And there are going to be some people who are saying, oh, but the sales bumps for new number ones, that's much, it shows jumping on points are great. Well, one, the sales bump for new number ones is short-lived and heavily influenced 
by the promotional push and the incentive covers for the new number ones. Yep. Much, or at least some of that sales bump could be had on the same, using those same flawed promotional techniques on comics that had an issue number other than one. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what this new Daredevil number one's number would have been otherwise, but they're putting a lot of a spotlight on it because they're either going to have a new creative team or at least a new number one or whatever. Yeah. It could have had that same spotlight, that same promotion, the same crazy cover gimmicks on whatever number it would have been versus number one. That's not what they chose to do. Yeah, like like for example, uh, for example, let's say Daredevil number, and I don't know what number they're ending with, but let's say it's 45. If they said issue 46 and they put it in real big bold oversized issue new creative team blah 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 you know now it's written by jeff johns i know he's not writing marvel books but but whoever whoever boom and then you probably see a sales bump you know and they did some marketing did some alternative covers and did a real big promotional thing hey this is the new daredevil you want to read it oh cool this is exciting they could have given away a, a sample and free comic book day of the new daredevil story by Jeff Johns in my pretend world, that would have been cool. And you would have been excited. I would have been excited. You could have done the exact same sales promotion they're going to do for the new number one with the existing volume and numbering. And yeah, maybe the new number one do a little bit better, but not that much better. And you know what? Anyone who thinks that's a crazy idea, go back a decade or two or three when they did this all the time and it worked. It did. It did. Peter David did it routinely inside of his own Hulk run. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Inside of his run, he would change the stories based on the sales number. <laughs> How many volumes do you think Peter David's run of the Hulk would have been split across if every time he changed like Joe Fixit or Back or the Pantheon arc or whatever, if they had at least renumbered, possibly retitled a Hulk in the Pantheon or, you know, whatever. Oh, my, yeah. How many different volumes could that would that have been split across today? An insane amount because I already have five omnibus from his run. So it would have been probably 10 volumes of the Hulk. If you were to go through there and say, this is a enough of a cut that today would have ended one volume and started another. You could have done 10 easily. Easily. Probably easily. more. I'm, I, I would just need to go through and figure out where would those cuts have been and why. Yeah, that's taking the omnibus and cutting them in half. So I'm being generous by saying 10. Well, because, yeah, some of them would have lasted a five-issue arc and then flipped back or something. Exactly. Some would have gone 18, 20-some-odd issues. I don't remember, but yeah. Yeah, he's a perfect example because he stayed on that book for so long, and he was a guy who could manipulate the numbers in his own books, and he liked to do that. (laughs) It's not manipulate the numbers. He paid attention to the numbers, and he adjusted the narrative accordingly. He'd say, oh, this isn't working. Let's do something that does. Readers seem to like this. Let's do more of this. (laughs) <laughs> so, I mean, here's a, a crazy idea. Publish ongoing titles with consecutively numbered issues. Wow. <laughs> Start with a number one or for the few long-term titles that remain, permanently switch to the legacy number, and then increment from one from there. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I go back to if the publishers want me as an ongoing reader, they need to publish ongoing titles. Yeah. Otherwise, they've got to realize they've made me a short-term reader who is therefore inherently less invested in comics. Yeah, right now I feel like I don't feel bad jumping off a title based on the new creative team. And that's and I feel like I wasn't like that in the past. I feel like I've been trained that way. Well, these days they change the creator, they stop the title. They do. So th- they've given me the jumping off point. So the minute Jonathan Hickman took over, we're rebooting all the X stuff, but they rebooted it before that. 
it's, the X titles multiple times. <laughs> it's not just they've given you the off-ramp. They've shunted you down it, and now you've got to explicitly choose to get back on the freeway. Yeah, and I'm like, I, I, I don't really like this guy, or I don't like that that lady. I don't like, oh, I don't really like horror books, so I'm sitting out DC's whole Night Terrors event. I'm sitting out the entire universe, because I don't like horror. That's what you're doing. I'm not sitting out the entire universe. I'm sitting out that entire arc or story thing or whatever you want to call it. Which is the bulk of it. <laughs> I'm still getting about a dozen things from DC that month, which is more than I was expecting given what they were doing. And Marvin's getting two. But I think that kind of a bump in the road is foolish, and I've got some stuff on that too. Oh, okay. All right, cool. So what else you got? Oh, man. I got sidetracked. <laughs> mine, was all, mine was all about writers, and it was being it was waxing nostalgic. Okay, I know that writers write for the trade right now, and they've been taught to write for the trade. If you can see it in the independent world, every independent book comes out and it's either six, 12 issues or 24 issues. They're all written for six issue trades or five issue trades. That's just become industry standard. That's what we're going to do. Okay, whatever. That's fine. If you're going to do that, you either have to one, learn how to write each, each issue, five to six very good hooks, very good stories. But if you can't do that, don't use me as an amortization tool. Give me the trade paperback. Move to trade if that's what you want to do. Because I know what they're trying to do right now. If I go to Image and I say, hey, I want to create this story. It's about this new gangster who's in Las Vegas doing blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to write it in six issues. And I'm going to sell it for $4 a month over here to this guy. And he's going to get a very poor reading experience. But when it's all collected, it reads really good because Marvin, and I hate to keep picking on Marvin, but he was saying, I really loved it. I'm like, well, you read all 12 issues at once. I read it over a year. Yeah. So that's, that's a big difference. Marvin will love it because maybe he let it stack up or he reads it as a trade. Very different reading experience. Just do not even solicit it. Sell a trade. And if you don't want to do that, then I feel like I have to eventually, when I'm brave enough to do it, and, I, and I, I'm tinkering around with it, just say, hey, I'm not buying this five or six. Oh, it's, it's a limited series. Oh, which you're going to write it this way. I'll stick around for the trade because I don't want to be the guinea pig. I don't want to be the one who's amortizing the cost and being abused at the same time. Yeah. So that's yeah. more of a rant that I have about that's what the industry is going towards. If that's what you're going to do, then move to trades. Just do it outright. Fine. Let's go that way. And I'm not talking about Marvel or DC because they know how to write a month to month book. They should because it should be ongoing like we just discussed. I'm talking about this is more towards the indie people and those little short term Marvel and, and DC. If you're doing five issues at Marvel, give me a trade. Don't even give me the five issues. I don't want it anymore. I agree with all of that. Yeah. Uh, because I, at that point, we're being abused. <laughs> I'm going to jump over my fourth item to my fifth because it ties into this. Remind me to go back to the fourth. Okay. All right. So my fifth one is stories need to be accessible and told in a timely manner. Yes. <laughs> and I think you hit the timely manner quite a bit. Yes. But to me, the accessibility is part and parcel of that. Readers generally don't enjoy stories they can't follow. I would agree. And I think when I was reading Paul Levitt's book... Mm -hmm. That, oh, his Avengers, Avengers title. Yeah, War Cross yeah. Time. Yeah. I felt like he wrote it a little bit old school. He, he kind of got you yeah, caught up really quick without me reading the recap at the beginning. And yeah. he's just, he is just, it's ingrained in him because that's what he does. Oh, yeah. And that, that is what those writers need to do. Either make it engaging, catch me up in the story, or give me a hell of a recap. <laughs> because if you're not doing that, I, I, I'm lost. And then I'm like, over six months, I'm like, I, I, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to say, I'm out. I'll, I'll read the trade. And if it's really good, if it 
reads like, oh, this is going to be a good one. I'll wait for the hardcover. See ya. <laughs> I think it's a bit optimistic slash arrogant of writers to expect us to have a crystal clear recall of story nuances from like five months ago for a six issue arc of things <laughs> at the beginning for how it ends. Yeah. Remember that little glint of silver I showed you in issue number one? What? <laughs> I mean, imagine if you were reading a, I don't know, a Batman book or something like that. It's a mystery thing. And Batman gets to the crime scene. Gordon's been let in by the house staff or whatever. There was a murder. Six months later, you get to the end of the arc and you realize the butler did it. And the only time you may have even seen the butler was in the background of that scene in the first issue. Yeah. You're going to, I will have forgotten about it. And I'm like, what the hell? Exactly. Or like reading a Clue comic, basically, and the screwdriver is really tiny off in the corner in issue one. You can just see it, hide it hidden behind the wall. Six months from now, I'm not going to remember that little screwdriver sitting there. (laughs) How about a recent example from Amazing Spider-Man, where we're expected to remember things both from a few years ago between the the current volume and the previous, and stuff from 15 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, with no... No, reference this, nothing. (laughs) There were footnotes, but reading a story shouldn't involve a trivia contest that you got to pass in order to understand the story. Yeah, you don't want to go to Wikipedia or have to go onto your unlimited app and pull up the issue. Do do I need to know this one? No, give me me a shot, a glimpse, the flashback in the story of that thing that happened. Exactly. That, That makes sense to me and you. Footnotes aren't a bad thing. Just pointing me in the direction of where I can find more information is helpful. Sometimes just having the footnotes enough to jog my memory. Yeah. But part of this is writers need to pick up the pace a bit. Yeah, pick up the pace. And if it's really key to the story, you can put a panel or two showing that scene. And it'll be like, oh, that's what it was. And it'll just be like, cool. Okay, cool. Whatever. How many times have I commented in Legion Spotlight of, okay, they spend a panel recapping so-and-so's origin and powers? Over and over. Yep. Because they assumed you didn't know. And yeah. if you do, it's it's a panel. It's not that big of a deal. And yeah. I'm willing to bet if I were to go through, and at some point I need to do this, all of the JLA-JSA crossovers they did on a yearly basis for, I want to say, 20 years, give or take, maybe 25, I don't remember when they started, Every almost every one of them seemed to start with at least a part of a page, if not a full page. Earth 1 exists, Earth 2 is similar, they've got different flashes, it's a divergent timeline or alternate timeline. Some things are the same-ish, some things are very different. They cross over, they meet once a year. An elevator pitch on what is a multiverse. Yeah. Of course, that was back in the days where that was a pretty wild idea. Now, I mean, we're used to it on TVs and movies all the time. Now it's like, which multiverse are we in? Are we in Spider-Verse, or are we over here in this other multiverse? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like everyone has their multiverse. <laughs> now, now there's multiple Gwyns, m- multiple Spider-Gwyns. I'm like, oh, God. One of the things that did not make my list, and again, I could probably do another half dozen or more items on this, is the don't dilute your characters by having an infinite number of variants of them. Yes, that kills the character. Please. Yes, please and thank you. Thank you for saying that. I mean, there's (laughs) enough spider characters of the Peter variety, the Gwen variety, and the Venom variety to literally fill a narrative universe in and of itself. I I feel like Dan Slott needs to put them in almost like an ultimate type package, which I know they're relaunching the ultimate thing, and implode that universe. You know, they, Oh, they all got wiped out, and now we're only going to have these four or five spider characters, whatever it is. <laughs> I'm fine having them spread out across the multiverse and coming together every once in a blue moon. 
but, but it's all the time. When you do arc after arc after arc of them, while doing arc after arc of Gwen meeting all of her variants and such, the idea is, is more than played out, and it's old, and it, it dilutes the concept, the characters, the whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah. You're reading Spider-Man, I'm reading Spider-Man. Which Spider-Man are you reading? <laughs> yeah, and that's not just the title, but literally, which Spider-Man? Which Spider-Man? <laughs> you, you literally have your choice. You can read Miles, you can read Peter, you can read Ben, you can read <laughs> yeah. Gwen, you can read the guy from India. <laughs> I forget his name. <laughs> the number of narrative universes that Marvel and DC have going, more Marvel than DC, but that they have going on right now is staggering. It's insane. I don't. I don't want to say this, but I get the impression that DC kind of wasn't in control of DC for a while, especially under AT and T. And now that they went, they were spun off, you know, into this new company. They're still getting their bearings about them. And I, I think I, it's just a lack of editorial cohesion. Yeah, yeah. They fired a lot of people even and, before firing. When when Dan Didio and Jim Lee were in charge of stuff, they lost track of. Wait, you did what to Hal Jordan? He's in, intergalactic criminal with a, a bootleg Green Lantern device? <laughs> what? <laughs> Undo yeah. that. Yeah, that we don't want that to happen. They flat out admitted they lost sight of the universe and it spun out of control because their line editors aren't doing a good job. That's sad. Now, with DC, they're printing so so little right now. I, I don't know where, but I, I just my gut tells me, this is just a gut feeling, that Marvel ramped it up at the same time almost to keep things afloat. And I'm not saying I'm I'm not saying they're doing that, and I don't know. Maybe they saw it as opportune, and they're being cutthroat. I don't know, but I have a feeling that it, if Marvel didn't ramp it up, comic shops would have been hurting a little bit more. Marvel, I think, has often ramped up, whether at times maybe they should or shouldn't have. And there's an aspect of sometimes pushing other people out, and sometimes it almost feels like they've got to have so many dollars coming in, and they've got to print so many copies just to keep the printing deals going to stay affordable or whatever. And I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying I wonder if. Yeah, there's something happened. It, it went up a lot. At the same time, DC went down. Well, and some of it is as sales go down, if you've got to print X thousand, you know, 100,000 copies every month of something, and you can't do it with five titles, and you've got to do it with 10, you, you put out 10 maybe. And then if 10 doesn't do it, you go to 15. <laughs> so I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. We, we, we don't even have those numbers anymore. Uh, this is just me guessing. But going back to telling things in a timely manner, something of merit needs to happen on every page. Yeah. Doesn't need to be earth-shattering, but there needs to be a reason for that page to be in the story. Yeah. D please don't give me Bendis talking heads. Or somebody walking across the room very dramatically. Yeah. Down the street, or, you know, whatever. It's, it's setting the stage. It's, it's lingering on the moment for an establishing shot. Yeah. It's like... Something should happen on the page. I agree with that 100%. I don't need done-in-one stories, but I am tired of six-issue arcs that, again, expect me to clearly remember what I read months ago early in the story for it to land the ending. Yeah. And this means most titles only get an arc or two per year, and that pacing feels glacially slow. Yeah. Uh, you wanted the book that comes to mind that I literally killed because of this? She-Hulk. She-Hulk and the previous volume of Iron Man is a good example. Yep. Uh, previous example of Iron Man and she, current She-Hulk. I cut it off at 12, and it's like, yeah, it's whimsical, and there's some charm around it, but literally nothing's happened. We're 12 issues in, and nothing's happening. I cut that one at 10 because it was moving too slow for me. Yeah. I, I made it through the 12th, and I don't know how I made it that far. <laughs> and I like She-Hulk. Yeah, me too. I love the character. But 
How much really happens in the Marvel Universe between these quote-unquote annual Hellfire Galas? It seems like not much happens until the big to-do, you know, the, the, the big thing. Whether it's Spider-Geddon or the, the Hellfire Gala or the, Hel- the, the Fall of X, everything is, it feels like filler for the event still at Marvel. It's not even just, is it filler or not? Nothing's happening. But I think you could basically sum up most of the arcs of the the Krakoa era of X-Men as an example. And this is not unique to X-Men. It applies across the board to DC and other, other places too. And it's like, okay, you had this event, you had Crossing of Swords or X of Swords or whatever, you had this. And you, you basically come down to, here are those installments, or not installments or chapters, but you know what I mean. Those, those yeah. things that happened. And then you, again, they're doing Hellfire Galas annually on a publishing basis, but it seems like monthly in-universe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about things about comics I just read. I just read something, and I'm not going to discuss it right now because I'm not going to spoil for you. For one of the latest X titles that I read where it was just so verbose, and it's literally felt like recapping a lot of your Sins of Sinister stuff. Well, they kind of got to do that to keep it accessible, and I appreciate that, that. that. That's true, yes. But installments need to have a critical mass of plot progression and characterization to build story momentum, and that story momentum is what gets the reader from the installment to the next one. Yeah. Like, I, I would say I was so happy with the new number ones at DC, but the key was they were new number ones. Once the shiny newness wears off. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about after issue two or three, where it's going to go. And, and issue three, apparently, is going to be five months from now. Well, okay. We've got Dawn of DC <laughs> going on now. Yeah. <laughs> it was only five, six, seven years ago we had Rebirth, which is only about five years after the uh, New 52. Yep. You know, if, if they've got to be restructuring and reinvigorating every five years or so. That's not good. <laughs> there's a problem. Yeah. And I mean, to me, it all comes down to story momentum. And you need more story momentum if there's a gap between issues. And again, night terrors, two-month gap for certain things. Those first issue or two of, of Green Lantern and Green Arrow sure as hell better build up some serious momentum to get over that gap. But it's not a one-to-one relationship between momentum and the length of the gap. And not all story momentum is created equal. And even stories with solid momentum behind them, and it's not going to have the same momentum for every reader, too. They need to be written with an acknowledgement of that time gap between issues. Yeah, I agree. Readers will forget aspects of the story over time. And again, a two-month break between everything at DC before and after Night Terrors? If there are ongoing arcs, forget it. Come on. I'm kind of mortified because I'm really liking Green Arrow and Green Lantern right now. And I'm worried because I, I my memory, I know what it is. And I don't think I'm going to remember in issue three what happened three months prior. And, and and unless they get me caught up somehow and I know they don't do the recap, that could kill the momentum. And then I'm just going to be sitting there. Do I want to read this title? Eh, it's not, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's going on here. And I, and I almost mentally check out. Jumping off points work better than jumping on points. And a they gap really- in the story is a jumping off point de facto. Yep. And to me, this all doubles back to accessibility and timely manner being intertwined. Yeah. Anything the reader needs to follow the story needs to be subtly reestablished in those later installments. And that goes even more so if there's a longer gap. Yeah. And I don't care if it reads great in a single sitting, if it's initially released in chunks over the course of six months or a year, 
or in some extreme cases, even longer. Now, this is where, at one point, I would mention non-player from Image, but I doubt most listeners even remember that title. Yeah. (laughs) Non-player? It was an Image title that was the big thing when it first came out. It was a really great first issue. Okay. And then three, four years later, it was a okay second issue. It was six, seven years ago, maybe. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And part of it is the more engaged and entertained I am by a story, the more momentum and rememberability it will have. But nothing is going to quelch that more than, I don't know, just not doing anything with the title for a while. That's why you got off Saga. Yeah, very much so. I I dropped Saga because it came back after a two and a half or three year hiatus, and I picked it back up, and it didn't read like the same book. He expected that we went back and reread everything, and we're just picking up where we left off, and I wasn't. I had not read the book for three, and so I was done. Yeah, you can't pick up where you left off after that long of a thing. You, you can't. And all of these things about accessibility and timely manner apply to architects as well as writers. Meta arcs that play out slowly in an on-and-off manner over the course of years? That's a bad publishing plan. Yeah. I mean, does the phrase strike while the iron is hot no longer hold meaning for people? Yeah. And I, and I would say Marvel and DC do a better job at at least getting product out. They need to work on editorial and making sure the product's good. What you're speaking to, it really impacts the indie world where this is, it seems where that's where I see these problems pop up the most pervasively in the indie world. I think they show up differently in both places. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking honestly more on the Marvel DC side. Oh, they get books out but they're not telling the story particularly quickly. That's true. <laughs> and, I mean, you've got three ninety nine an issue, six issues for an arc. That's a cover price of, what, six cents under $24 for an arc? Is the reader really getting that kind of value out of the story? I'm not. So, not only is the slower pace reducing story momentum, it's increasing the cost of the story. And that combination, that's a one-two punch. Yeah, very much so. So actionable advice on this. Writers need to write each installment of an ongoing story in an accessible manner that discreetly helps readers who may have forgotten key plot points from earlier in the story, ideally without a ton of exposition. And more importantly, there needs to be a constant feeling of plot progression, of a reason to be reading that story. And editors need to make sure this happens. I love it. And it's tiring to be reading arc after arc after arc and feeling like you know, did it really need to take six months to put so-and-so back in jail or whatever for Batman or something? Can we make you a senior editor at Marvel and DC? I'd certainly be open to talking to them about it, but <laughs> I, I don't think they're on board with what I'm I'm pitching here. <laughs> yeah, they're not. <laughs> None of this is, is rocket science or crazy ideas, I think. To me, everything that we've talked about is common sense for a person who's read monthly comics. Common sense. I want to go ahead and jump back to my fourth item that I kind of skipped over. All right, yeah, what is that? Now, I want to remind you, my third item was to publish ongoing titles. Yes. My fourth item is to write ongoing titles. (laughs) Yeah. There's more to writing an ongoing title than just publishing an ongoing title. The constant hard stop, cold open between story arcs isn't keeping me in these narrative worlds the way the never-ending saga did back in the 1980s. Yeah. I mean, when you've got a hard stop between arcs, it's an excellent jumping-off point, and 
Say it with me, jumping off points work better than jumping on points. They really do. Yeah, I, I literally, I time my cancellations around the end of the arc and the solicits. Hey, and if, so <laughs> if it's a clean break and they give you an out, take it. Oh, Detective Comics, oh, new storyline here, bloop, I'm out. And, oh, She-Hulk, it's, oh, new story arc with 13, okay, I'm out at 12, done, boom, I'm out, boom, done. Well, if you've ever been to a a big corporate event or other kind of sit-down thing where they've got a bunch of speakers and stuff, and you're at the point where I've had enough, you usually wait till between speakers or something where there's a little, you know, easy break and it's easier to sneak out, because if everyone's in rapt attention to the speaker, it's obvious you're doing it. Yeah. Same thing with stories. They get to a break, they say the end, or to be continued, perhaps, or whatever they say, and it's not the magic words, the end, that are the problem, so don't just take those off the comic and think that solves the problem. It doesn't. But if it's this arc is over and you're going to pretty much start wherever the hell you want to in the next one, I can leave. Yeah. And literally, you and I have seen countless times where the next creative team comes in, almost like the previous story never happened. And Donnie Cates on Hulk was the perfect example of that. Nothing... You went from one of the premier best runs of the Hulk that I've I've ever read to Donny Cates, just a travesty that had nothing to do with what happened before. He's just like, I'm going to do this. Boom. And yeah. that, that happens routinely. That that kind of handoff or lack of handoff or whatever irritates the hell out of me. And I've got some stuff later on, on uh, frankly, how disrespectful I think it is. It is. Yeah. Okay. So- I think writers should go back to the never-ending saga writing style, and editors should facilitate smooth handoffs between creative teams. If there was one, I forget who the two creators were, but on Daredevil, where I think if it was it was Bendis getting off, and I don't remember who was getting on, but from one issue to the next, it was smooth. Yeah. One left it how the other one was ready to grab that baton and run with it. And actionable advice on this? The fix is to adopt something like Paul Levitt's ABC storytelling style for ongoing titles. And granted, ongoing titles are increasingly hypothetical these days, but let's go with they're going to do them. They should start something, provide a solid chunk of some story element, and then end something, every issue, overlapping those story threads, braiding them together in a way that builds the story momentum, keeps the title accessible to new readers, and keeps the ongoing readers engaged. Yeah. As A is wrapping up, B is being kind of percolating up towards its crescendo, and C is being teased. <laughs> There's always the sense of a conclusion, so you feel that this issue actually finished something, something to start, so if you're a new reader, you can get on board with that, and then the meat and potatoes of the issue and stuff. Yeah, yeah. He was a master at that. And he probably had a good hook at the end to bring you back for the next issue. A good hook. Well, yeah, now you've got three things to pick for what you hook on. Potentially, you could end on two or three hooks. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I, I didn't read Paul Levitz, but I'm telling you, I probably would have loved Paul Levitz writing back in the day because he wrote that Avengers thing. And I thought it was, I thought it was good. It was solid. Yeah. I, I was like, this is fun. <laughs> he did some great stuff. Hey, and, and it made me kind of wax nostalgic for the way comics used to be. Well, and I do think a lot of what I've had so far and a lot of what I've got coming is a paradigm shift back to how comics kind of used to be. Not that it was a, you know, everything was perfect era or anything. But comics sold better. Now, granted, again, some of that was the time versus kids today don't read sort of a thing. But part of it is people aren't reading the comics because they're not put together that well. Yep, they're not. They're not. It would be very hard to leave the habit because it's literally an addictive habit, what we're, what we're doing. <laughs> reading comics is an addiction. It's enjoyment. It's an outlet. It's an escape. But it's also very highly addictive. And that, that's why you don't break the cycle and 
that's why the monthly comics come out, you know? If it was like that, so many readers who are relapsed readers probably wouldn't have lapsed. It's so easy to lapse right now. It's so easy to just check out. I'm in that phase right now, and it's not that I want to be, but there's nothing really in the modern comics making me think, wow, this is just some great stuff, all-time best of something. Yeah. I almost could reallocate some dollars over here and maybe go on another vacation or something. <laughs> you think about stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I've reallocated a number of dollars that a couple of years back were going to comics. Yeah. So. All right, you got another thing, or you want me to keep going on my rants? I want you to keep going because you've hit most of mine just by us talking. <laughs> so I'm good. I, I, yeah, I, I'm pretty good. All right, my next one is write the character you're writing. Okay. I expect the lead character of the title to be the lead character of the story. I agree. <laughs> you mean like the uh, the book? What was it that we, where we got Hellcat? Well, uh, readers pick up Iron <laughs> Man to read Iron Man, not <laughs> Hellcat. And then he wrote a Hellcat book later on. I'm like, why were you wasting my time? Exactly. Literally picking up Iron Man and you don't read about Iron Man. You're reading about Hellcat all the time. And maybe a a side lover relationship with Tony. Well, and the She-Hulk was as much a Jack of Hearts story as anything else. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. You want to have Jack of Hearts in there. Have him in there for an issue or two. Don't have him take over the book. Or as a supporting character, but make sure it feels like She-Hulk's book. Yeah. It's a love interest. Whatever you, they kind of were going down that that route. Fine. Have She-Hulk have the adventure, do the thing, come home to Jack of Hearts and give him a big hug and go on a date. Whatever. We don't need to have him in there every episode for every panel. We were getting more about what was going on with his powers. Is he absorbing radiation? What is he doing? This, that, and the other. And it felt like his plot got more progression than hers. Exactly. It was all about, let's find out what's going on with Jack Hearts. What's good with this radiation thing? Yeah. Sure, every once in a while, another character might steal the spotlight, but I expect the title character to be the lead in the overwhelming majority of the issues. I agree. Now, if the story could be told with any character, is it really a story about the character that happens to be in it? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) We've all read something where it's a basic procedural that could be Moon Knight, Batman, Daredevil, you know, Nightwing, half a dozen other characters. Yeah. They're not writing the character they're writing. No, they're just writing a detective story or a whatever story that they're wanting to write and just sticking this character in there who would not behave in that manner normally. Uh, speaking of that, characters not behaving how they would behave normally. <laughs> Writers should not rework characters to suit the story they want to tell. The story should reflect the characters, not the other way around. Yes, please. Now, let's kick this up a notch. Check the agenda at the door. Yes, please. I I was thinking of Iceman when you just said that. Even if I agree with the agenda, I want to read stories, not propaganda. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, there's characters that I like of certain, whatever, you know, whatever background, diversity, sexual orientation, I don't care. I really don't care. I am the guy who does not care. But when you take a character that's established and is this, and then you say... Ha ha, they weren't that, they were this. Just because of a stunt, because of diversity, it infuriates people. Because they're like, you literally just flushed 50, 60, 70 years of continuity down the toilet. Now, I got an email at one point in time offering to interview a creator, who I will not name and don't try to guess. Oh, okay. But it blatantly spelled out the creator's agenda. 
Oh, God. Said agenda was no surprise to me, as it came through all too clearly in the stories by that creator. (laughs) They said, this is my agenda? Very clearly. Wow. I mean, like, mission statement phrasing sort of a thing. Yeah, this is me feeling common sense, writer, editor, coming together, cool, agenda, whatever. If you want to write that, create a new character. That's fine. And Marvel or DC will own it, and you can do whatever you want. But if you are wanting to write this character and you're writing Bruce Banner, it's got to be Bruce Banner. It's got to be the Hulk. If you go back to when the Kamala Khan character was created, yeah, and we got the new Ms. Marvel thing, as I recall, the thing I knocked it for, because I generally liked it and stuff, was yeah. the use of the Ms. Marvel name, and the character deserved a new and unique name. Yeah. Because it, it made it feel like a hand-me-down character, and it was was new, it was original, it was a Muslim character and introduced me to a lot of aspects of that religion, lifestyle, and community and stuff that, frankly, was I, I was very happy to be exposed to, enjoyed the book for quite some time. Me too. I loved it. And it was a book that was set in that setting. It was not about that setting. Exactly. It felt, it read more like a Peter Parker-esque story with her, you know, being uncomfortable as a student and being mm-hmm. uncomfortable with our family. And it just happened to be, oh, here's this Muslim stuff on the side. Here's this Pakistani origin stuff on the side. Instead of mom and dad, she uses other phrases or whatever. Yeah, Baba and whatever the, whatever the other were. one was. Whatever they were. I don't can't remember. It, it <laughs> gave it a unique flavor to the book. It rang true to the character. Yeah. And it was and is a good read. It was awesome. But that was a story about the character, not the creator's agenda. Now, that having been said, they set that character up very clearly because at the time, there was no representation for Muslims, young females as heroes and stuff like that. There should not be those voids. And I agree with that kind of, of let's do it out there. But there are ways to do it right, and there are ways to do it wrong. And again, the stories need to be about the character, not the agendas. and. I, I tire, again, there are some agendas that, you know, I am 100% behind. It doesn't mean I want somebody cramming it down my throat instead of entertaining me with a story. Yeah, I agree. I, you almost can tell when it's when it's what the, the writer is really wanting to write and writing a character, when it's a character that's, that's an established character, or even if it's a brand new character. When Rucka is writing, for whatever reason, Greg Rucka likes to write strong women. Mm-hmm. That's just what he likes. I don't fault the guy for it. That's it. He's very good at it. You know, go read his books. They're awesome. I don't think anyone's making him do that. I don't think he has an agenda about that. That's what he likes. Well, but at the same time, he's writing Batman. He's not. He's not making, making Batman a strong female character. Exactly. He's not making him look weak to make the woman yeah. look stronger. He's writing a strong male character because that's who he is. Yeah. And, and, and it'd be disingenuous if he wanted to make the male look weak and make the woman look strong. Well, if you look back at the original run of Alpha Flight, yeah. Now it took until issue 104 for Northstar to come out as gay. Yeah. But from day one of that title, there were all the signs clearly there, not blatantly, oh my god, there, but not where it felt like a retcon of the character, like exactly. say Iceman or some other characters. Iceman was a complete retcon. <laughs> I think writers need to read and understand the backstory, both as presented of these characters and as perceived by the overall audience. Yeah. 
Now, there may have been a segment of the audience that think, oh, well, Iceman's always been gay. But I think the majority of the audience didn't have that impression. And I'll, I'll be honest, when I read the whole thing and it's like, oh, he would go shoe shopping with Jean Grey, therefore he must be gay, because shoes, why would a guy do that? Versus it's a guy spending time with the beautiful woman on the team, doing whatever she wants to do so he can spend time with her. That doesn't strike me as gay. So it's what lens do you put on the scene and how do you see it as? Exactly. Hey, I've been a single guy and I am a married guy. And when you want to impress a girl or you want to have a good time with a girl and you're really trying to put attention on the girl, yeah, you take her shopping sometimes. It's not what I want to do, but you do stuff like that. To to me, that reads like a single guy who's trying to do something for the lady. It's understanding how the characters are seen by the audience. Exactly. It's important. It's often overlooked. And there are some creators that like to take a character and turn them into something they could be while ignoring how the act character has actually been and has been seen by the majority of the audience, in some cases, for decades. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing that is preventing the, oh, Batman and Robin are gay sort of thing that's been around for for literally decades, is why else would two guys hang out together sort of a deal? Yeah. (laughs) is, Is momentum. I think if Batman had been a newer character, writers would have not had that momentum to fight against and would have been able to to make some changes. Now, again, you could do a really interesting take on Batman with or a character with that. It would not be Batman because, again, he's got this long history and stuff and not that the characters can't change or that we've already seen everything there ever is to see out of them, but it sometimes comes across as the creator implying, oh, the audience wasn't smart enough to see the true nature of the character. Other times, it's just co-opting the character to fit an agenda. And, and you can tell when that's happening. The readers can feel it. Yeah. And that's when readers check out and get almost enraged or jaded and leave a publisher sometimes or leave that writer, particularly for all future projects, which is that writer probably doesn't care, but DC cares because maybe they don't come back or Marvel cares because maybe they don't come back or Image cares because maybe they don't come back. Well, and sometimes the writers are changing up the character because they don't know better. And I don't think it's unreasonable for the writer to do the needed research to understand the property they're going to write. Yeah. Ideally, they'd be a fan before they're hired to write the property, but reading some comics before writing some seems like a reasonable expectation. Yeah. And all too often, it feels like, hey, you're going to write this character, and it seems like they read maybe a trade if we're lucky and still don't have a grasp for it. And this is true with the plethora of movie and TV projects and streaming projects that superheroes have been in. Somebody who doesn't know the property, gets hired, does some some research. Sometimes they do a fair amount and really come to love the property and do some great stuff with it. Other times they do a token amount and what you come out with is off-putting to, to hardcore fans of the, the property. Yep. And if I feel I know the character better than the writer, why should I read the story? <laughs> That's true. That's true. What, who is this character you're writing? <laughs> this might be a great story. Go write an image with a new character. <laughs> Often that's the better thing, because you can imply a backstory that leans on iconic backstories of known characters, yet still have complete freedom to do what you want. Instead Again, of trying to hijack a character and change it. Exactly. When we read Quantum Age, you had asked if this would work better as a Legion story for me, and I told you, no, because they had the freedom to do things. And if they'd done those same things with established Legionnaires, I'd have been unhappy. 
Yeah, you wouldn't have liked it at all. Yeah. So, actionable advice. Writers need to treat the title character as the lead character of the story, and they need to do their research and write the character in character. In other words, if you're writing Iron Man, write Iron Man, not Hellcat. If you're writing Iron Man, understand Iron Man. If you're writing any other character, do the research, understand both the broad brushstrokes and the nuances. Don't tell me a story we've already seen. Don't just kick other stories to the curb because they're inconvenient and you want this character to, to, to have this. You want to write uh, Tony Stark as Elon Musk? Maybe that works, maybe it doesn't, but there comes a point where, you know, it's, it's, it's no longer Tony Stark, as yeah. an example. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, again, I think, you know, writing the character they're writing, not that hard, but not that often done. And editors, keep them in check, please. <laughs> Everything I say about writers is double for, for the editors, because it's their job to keep them in check. Absolutely. Yes. All right, ready for the next? I'm ready. The story should have the audience experience the story, quote, as it happens, unquote. Stories often work best when they're told in, say, the present tense, and we feel like we're seeing the events as they happen, as they're unfolding, like we're an invisible witness to the events. Yes. Telling stories using captions or voiceover narration and stuff, it makes it feel like I'm just getting a recap of the story. Yeah. Not watching it as it's happening, it keeps me a step removed from the story. Yeah, some comics, we've read comics where everything has been a prose text dialogue box. You can go pages of some comics without a single word balloon. And and then I just think I'm looking at art. I I remember Tom King, he had a Catwoman and Batman thing where it was just bubbles of prose and large pictures of the two of them. It was an illustrated story. Yeah, like a book, like an illustrated book with a story. And I was just like, this is not what I intended by. <laughs> when I read comics, I want to read comics. I don't want to read a prose story disguised as a comic. Yeah. Make, make it like something we are, like you said, we're witness to the event. The comic should be that window into the universe. We're seeing those events as they happen. I, again, that's in quote because sometimes they're flashbacks, some, you know, it's, but we need to feel like we're in the moment. We're immersed in it. And when you use that, that voiceover by the lead character, and there are a few cases in like movies and TVs where that's just really worked and been iconic for the show. Uh, MacGyver, the original, great example of that. Oh, yeah. But a voiceover by the lead character sends the signal that the lead character makes it out of the story okay. <laughs> kind of cuts the suspense. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a tad. Because presumably they're telling you the story after the fact. Yep. So, I mean, to me, this is one that shouldn't be too controversial it should go without saying, but I've read so many where I feel that I had to say this. And the actual advice, writers should show the events of the story as they happen, making us feel like we're there as they're going on. I like that. It builds immersion. Yes, it does. And that, it builds engagement, and that's the name of the game. I'm on board for all of these. All right. Next one? Next one. History matters. Yeah. Now, the complete lack of any sort of consistent backstory for characters is beyond ridiculous. Now, I don't need or want writers, current writers, to be slaves to past continuity. That's not what I'm talking about. I expect them to know it and respect it. For example, I am tired of classic Avengers, say from the 80s, being treated like they're broken losers. Black Knight and uh, Captain Marvel Photon character is a great example of that. Yeah. You know? Or have something happening in one book that had been set up for a year or two to be immediately forgotten and dismissed as if it never happened 
and I'm talking specifically about the Cybe stuff in Titans Academy and Future State, which was chucked literally like a week or two after, yep, it happened and we're dealing with it, with a little bit of a wavy hands of, well, we can make it look like it didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's frustrating. Why bother reading titles if the creators and other titles and stuff don't bother to? Yeah. You know, yeah. again, I'm investing time, money, effort, memory, whatever into it. And if they're not willing to put that effort in, why should I? Yeah. No, it's 100% true. Everything you're saying, I agree with this. If, if we're writing an interactive, an intertwined, connected universe, something that happens here should ha- have effect five years from now. If it's very impactful, it should be shown in other books where that character shows up. Yeah. Should hold true. It should hold true. It doesn't necessarily even have to be shown. Yeah, not not shown. Hold true. Like, uh, if Peter got divorced in this book, he shouldn't be magically married three years from now like that divorce never happened because we didn't like divorce. I don't know. Or here's here's an example that applies to far too many characters for my taste. Say they get a hand lopped off. <laughs> it should not be there in other stories. Yeah. And I'm not saying there's an example of this being done wrong or that specific instance, but it'd be an obvious one. Yeah, exactly. Something we, We've boom. seen other cases where something I felt more catastrophic to a character or two happened, and they pretended it, it, it never happened, and they literally spent a year or two building up to that. Yeah. Something just happened in Daredevil that I'm curious if it's going to stay, and I don't think it can. So we'll see. The repeated retcons and reversions and whatnot has less DC continuity damaged possibly beyond repair. And I think the very idea of dumping the backstory of a character or group, it doesn't win over readers that were fans of the character or group. And if story continuity is a cultural currency, and I, I think it is, invalidating that continuity is akin to just mass currency depreciation and it makes that investment in time, energy, memory, etc. by the readers feel worth less, sometime to the point of being worthless. Yeah. And I think these revamps and reboots and whatnot, they serve to shorten the half-life of the properties in many cases. And the fix for this is just to figure out the damn backstory, clarify it, and stick with it. And looking at the Legion, where I finally broke, okay, here are where the different chunks are, it literally seems like the shelf life of the property cuts like in half every time to where the next one they do, if they can make it go longer than a year, they may be lucky. That's sad. Now, if you're going to have continuity and history to any degree, maybe people at the, the companies need to take better notes. But if they say this is how things work, then that's how I should be able to expect them to work. Unless there's a reasonable explanation of why it's not the case anymore and it doesn't feel like a story cheat. But... Editors and writers need to treat continuity like something they are building, not something they're limited by. Are you saying they shouldn't just explode Superman and pretend like that one just disappeared? <laughs> Didn't yeah, exist? yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. There are certain <laughs> things that you lay down a brick and it's like, you know, this isn't going to work. Yeah. You know, if, if things happen to a character, they become part of the history of that character. So, I don't know, don't write the story into a corner or do something that that just about has to get undone. And not all the history needs to be referenced all of the time, but it's got to be known, it's got to be remembered by the editors and the writers, and reflected in the story, even if it goes unmentioned. But there's a lot to be said of, I don't know, maybe don't keep killing and resurrecting characters to the point that death has no meaning. And that's, that's the biggest thing that's happened 
in recent years. We have seen so many characters die and come back that death has no meaning and it's not impactful at all. It means nothing to me when someone dies. When there's a joke of we didn't even hold a funeral this time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm waiting for somebody to do a dark comedy of a superhero team <laughs> where there's the new guy and it the first issue gets to the point where he realizes the rest of the team is out to kill him because <laughs> he's the only one who hasn't died yet and he needs the experience to fit in. <laughs> the poor guy's trying to fake his own death so they don't kill him. <laughs> oh, and Mike. You can do a good story with that, but it's a sad comment on, on where things are at. So if, if the writers and the editors treat these things like they're building blocks of a larger history and carefully select what things happen in that history with an aim towards building a better continuity, a stronger one that strengthens the property without limiting future creators. That's a winning strategy. Yeah, it is. But if you're just going for the, the shock and awe and the wow, this is amazing sort of a thing, that's how you wind up with every member of the Fantastic Four having died at least a time or two. <laughs> it's true. Multiple times. <laughs> I think it's true of probably a fair number of superhero teams out there. Yep. Oh, it's just frustrating. So, that's a problem. Yes, it is. All right, my next one? Next one. Treat readers with respect. Yeah, I kind of hit on that earlier. You did. And I've said that numerous times in the monthly comic spotlight where I feel like I'm disrespected as a single-issue reader. Well, I mean, the constant shock and awe instead of solid and believable stories, it's not working for me these days. And I don't expect completely realistic stories of, of superheroes. I mean, they can fly and stuff. But I expect writers to explicitly pick what laws of physics get broken, when, where, and how, and why. And more importantly, I expect them to be consistent with that over time. Yeah. Like the big thing we just saw with John Kent, that new power, we'll say, where he, he, he kind of powers up and exhausts himself, that better be relevant or maybe still viable five years from now. Or what was the point? Well, even if they burn it out and something else happens, there's a way you can do that in story that can work better than others. Yeah. But if it gets to where he can do it left, right, and center, and there's no cost to it, it's like, well, what's up with that? Or if what they have established ceases to hold true and they haven't earned that change, that's a problem. Yeah. But, I mean, one of the problems I see writers getting into is they get into, like, a game of one-upsmanship, either with themselves or others or, or whatever. It is a losing path. Yeah. Trying to outdo other writers or, or previous story arcs and stuff, it ramps things so quickly to the point of, of absurdity. It, this is how we go from Batman kind of skiing on a jumbo jet to skydiving from space and walking away from it. <laughs> ludicrous insanity come on man <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you what another thing that i've noticed uh, sometimes the writers they, they start telling the same types of stories between the universes you know or let's he's doing this i'm going to do this i don't know where that came from but i've been noticing that between different writers you know right now both bruce wayne and tony stark are broke yeah broke broke billionaires lost control of their companies is that like a like a faux pas to be rich i guess maybe i don't know well, how many times have both of them lost all their money and had to build back up? As so many times. And I'm like, and they're both doing it at the same time. I'm like, are you guys literally hanging out together? And Hey, let's go down this path. I'll do this. You do this. I mean, they work right now both at Marvel. So 
They could be talking. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, again, the Tony Stark losing control of his company is a go-to story arc. Yep. We're not idiots. We've read this. Respect that we've read it and tell us something different. Tell us something different. I mean, these guys are supposed to be intelligent and maybe not lose control of their company, maybe not lose control of their billions at the drop of a hat. They probably have backup plans and you know things that could, would notify them where they wouldn't go bankrupt and be homeless on the street with just a suit of armor. Well, again, I don't expect this to be utterly realistic, but there are laws of physics and and whatnot and social norms and whatnot that sure seem to be the same in these narrative worlds as they are in ours. Yeah. So to just kind of ignore them left, right, and center with no explanation defies rationality, and it takes us out of the story. It's very disrespectful. Yeah. I mean, it's as if you think we're too stupid to realize it shouldn't happen this way, or it's illogical, or it defies what you just established last issue, or whatever. Yeah. You just kind of read it, and you're like, I'm not five years old. What are we doing? (laughs) Well, and one variation on that is, again, the writer trying to show off how smart they are. Oh, that that irks me to no end. That I I need to show you how smart I am and how intelligent I am and ha 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 ha. And that's fine. There's people of all ilks. There's people who I'm sure have much higher IQs than me and people that have much lower IQs than me. But you don't you don't need to be condescending because the minute you do that, you turn me off. Yeah. Again, treat me with respect. Yes. And one of the things that is a a trend I've seen a number of times, more so at Marvel than DC. But it's the trying to get me or keep me interested in a story by skipping over some major story beat, only to tease that potential reveal of it for a while. It it doesn't work for me. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Recent examples, like right now, Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. Yep, they both did it. (laughs) Think about it. What they are doing to get us interested in the story they're telling us is not telling us part of the story. Yeah, the Fantastic Four is broken up. We we don't know why they they don't get along. They're not talking to each other. Not living in the Fantastic Center. It's been melted to the ground. We find out episodes later, and then let's say ten epi- issues later, you finally find out what happened. And both those stories did it. And Spider Man's just getting to the story. We still haven't gotten there. It's the don't you enjoy the story I'm telling you because I haven't told you part of the story I'm telling you. And it's frustrating. It's stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> You're Think just like, how interested I'm going to be if I just stop reading. Yeah, in the Spider-Man's case, we kind of find out what happened to issue 25. I, I know it comes out maybe a little quicker than monthly, but that's two years waiting to find out what's going on. Come on, man. It, it is longer for them to tell us how this volume started than many volumes of many titles last. Which is just pure insanity. And, and, and it's literally like they sat down and talked to each other and gave each other a pep talk. Let's do this, because they literally did the same thing the two different writers did. Well, they did it when Secret Wars happened, and it's the who's the the father of Spider-Woman's baby or, you know, this, that, and the other. Yeah. And by the time they got around to answering a lot of those questions, I no longer cared because the only reason I was caring was because they asked the question and instead of just telling us. Yeah. It brings me back to something that I've told you before. Things that work in movies and TV don't always work in comics. And I think these guys watch a lot of movies and read a lot of TV and try to make it work in a monthly story, and that doesn't always translate. Parts can, but it doesn't always translate. If you're telling the story in a sufficiently expedited manner, where every installment feels like it's got some weight to it and is a full installment, not just a subsection of a story, then it can work. 
but when you're telling me the equivalent of a between the commercial breaks part of a TV show and you're doing that over the course of a year, so I get the equivalent of an episode or two, and you're trying to tell me a year-long arc or something in a TV show or whatever, it, the, the math doesn't work, the story doesn't work, it, no. it just, it kills it. You can't watch 10, 12 minutes of a show and then wait a month to watch the next 10 to 12 minutes. Yes. You, you'll be confused and lost, and that's how I feel. Yeah, imagine but- watching <laughs> any major movie you've loved to where at the end of, of every... 10 minutes, cut at the next scene. <laughs> the only movie that would work for is one of Hitchcock's, where he did it all in a single take. So arguably one scene. There you go. But even he had to change reels of film, so still there are parts <laughs> to cut away from. <laughs> the bottom line is creators need to clearly understand the rules of the universe they're working in, tell stories that abide by those rules. For example, superhero universes have superpowers. But they also have laws of physics and, I don't know, laws. You know, Superman can fly. Batman can't. Respect the readers can tell the difference. Again, skydiving from space. A regular human crashing down to Earth and walking away from it after surviving the incinerating heat of atmospheric reentry. <laughs> you're, you're not going to survive that. It doesn't just collapse the suspension of disbelief. It shatters it, much like one would expect the remains of a human skydiving from space unprotected. You know? It is insulting to the readers. <laughs> you can't do this. <laughs> Clearly they can, they just can't do it with impunity. Yeah. Finally, and I think all of this has been leading up to this, and I gave a little of it already, don't try to impress me. Get me engaged with the story and entertained by it, because that will impress me. Yeah. Something that comes to mind when you say that, don't try to impress me, less is more in comics. I, I, I think back to the things that I, I enjoy the most just like on and this is something different than like department of truth i loved it's a little bit different but it's it's still it kind of applies but some of the comics that i've enjoyed the most were not trying to impress me i don't want to say they dumbed it down but they gave me a satisfying story inside of that issue an issue on nightwing where we get the dog we get bitewing he saves the dog he goes home mm-hmm. he does some stuff i still remember that story to this day because it it impacts you and it was so simple it was so basic he wasn't trying to impress me I still remember the pizza dog issue, and I'm not even a dog guy. I have cats, but I remember it was a silent issue, but I remember yeah. other things of that run with Hawkeye and Matt Fraction and David Aha when they did it, because it was done really well, and it was pretty simplistic, pretty basic writing, but it was done well. I also remember some things that Jason Aaron did with Conan that were really, really good. You remember that first issue that we reviewed? Mm-hmm. I thought it was terrific. It was great. It was engaging. I loved it. And not saying that that was the premier issue of Conan, but it, it, he wasn't trying to like show off at the same time. He was just telling a good story. Boom, here it is. It, it, versus someone who comes out with, look at this. <laughs> well, you either get the shock and awe look at the spectacle. It's such a big story. It affects everything. everything. All of creation is at risk or whatever. Everybody's showing up here to solve it and stuff. It's like there's a lot of fireworks going on, but there's no plot or characterization. It doesn't build loyal readership. Yeah. You, you know what I go back to? I kind of got excited for it. But then I look back on it, and it, I, it really didn't go anywhere. It was Scott Snyder when he was doing the Justice League. Mm. When we read that, and remember they, they came out with that new ultraviolet lantern. and Oh, yeah, yeah. They were build, a universe building to, to no end and no point. Yeah, all kinds of cool stuff happening, and none of it went anywhere. We've never heard anything about that since. And I'm just like – and at the time, I was like, oh, wow, this is like a lot of boom, boom, boom. But then 
there was never a payoff. And I was just like, all right, okay. <laughs> well, if you're going for the scattershot approach to see if you hit something, that's lazy and that's bad writing. Yeah. And if you do hit something, it's by chance, not by skill. Yeah. So, I mean, I have memories, things that come to mind, both pro and con, that go right to your point. Tell me a satisfying story. It doesn't have to be the best story in the world. I don't think Avengers War Across Time was the best story. It's not the best Avengers story. No, but it, but it was I engaging. It. it built the characters. It moved forward. It was entertaining. It was entertaining, and I felt like I got my money's worth, and I'm happy I read it. And if somebody's like, oh, I'm kind of nostalgic for old comics the way they used to be, I'd probably point to that comic and say, try this one out. It's pretty good. Absolutely. Now, writers that try to show how clever they are, they don't hook me. Yeah. They distract me with the attempt. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. The one that keeps coming up is the guy, Ice Cream Man. Read the comic front to back or back to front. <laughs> gimmick issues annoy me. Even if they're well done, and there have been some good gimmick issues of Nightwing, or again, Hawkeye, the Pizza Dog one. And there's been example. some bad ones of Flash. <laughs> but it's one thing to do something like that to see if you can. Yeah. It's another thing to do it to show me that you're just so much smarter than I am. And it's even more annoying if they very obviously pull it off with a, ha see, I did it, aren't I wonderful? There's a world of difference between Watchmen and Multiversity Pax Americana. Yeah. Watchmen's considered a classic of comic book literature. Multiversity Pax Americana is just a pale imitation. It was aping Watchmen. It's let me do those narrative stunts. And you could, and you could tell. And one is a perennial bestseller, and the other one you never hear, hear yeah. of, really. Now, instead of writers trying to show me how smart they are, they should be trying to make the readers feel smart while entertaining them. I agree. It is a little bit rewarding when they drop hints that aren't too obscure to where if you're paying attention, you can kind of figure out the whodunit. A well-told story like that has the reader putting the pieces together ever so slightly before the characters do. Yeah, and you, it, there's payoff, and you're like, oh, and you get excited about it. Wow. And even if you're not right there at the moment the characters do, it should feel, oh, yeah, I should have known that. Exactly. Oh, that, it was right there. Oh, oh, yeah. Hmm. I, I just missed that. That was good. That was clever. Not, oh, geez, they set this up. It was transparent. Or I, where the hell did that come from? What, What's going on? There's, there's a moment of us feeling the success of the characters, either with them or for them or whatever, that is missing so often. Yeah, we, uh, we read a backup story. It was like a Batman backup or something where there was a detective story. It might have been a backup in Nightwing. I don't remember. And it was told very well. It was an enjoyable enough story. But my one gripe with it was like there was no clue to who did it. They just told us who, <laughs> who did it. I think that was the Nightwing one, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, it wasn't bad. I liked it. But there was literally no clue there. No way that I could have guessed or you could have guessed, you know, not even showing a gloved hand or anything of who cut the rope. That, that I think that's the one. Yeah. It's just like, here it is. And I'm like, it, it might have been a little bit better story if they just would have had a clue in there. So we're, when they're doing the detective work, we're detectives too. If it's a good mystery story, you should be able to, after you've read it front to back, read it back to front with the, this is how it was done, and then go find where all the seeds were planted. Yeah. And I don't know that most stories in comics fit that. No, very, very rare. Very rare. Now, each installment of the story needs to convince me not only it was worth my time to consume, but worth my time to come back for more. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you don't do that just by telling me how great you are. You do it by telling a great story. 
if I get sucked into the story and engaged with it, I am much more likely to want to come back for more. Yeah. That is so much of what's missing for me right now. Yeah, I would agree. Like, the last book that did that for me was Department of Truth, where I was really engaged with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to a degree where I was, you almost feel a, a hunger for the next issue, a hunger for it. And it's rare that you get that. And I don't expect- It shouldn't be rare. It shouldn't be rare. And I don't expect every book to make me hungry, but to be maybe a little bit of excitement when I get it. Oh, yeah, I really like Nightwing. Oh, yeah, I really like Dark Knights of Steel. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, yeah, I really like, I'm not going to say Avengers. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. And right now, I think it, you, you, it's so rare that we get that, that there's probably five books from DC that you could point to maybe that you enjoy, and maybe five or six books from Marvel you would enjoy, and uh, three, maybe three independent comics. And I probably wouldn't be far off from those numbers, the ones that I'm really like, oh, I'm excited for this one when I get it. Well. To me, the actionable advice on this last one is writers should be focusing on telling engaging, entertaining stories that are worth the reader's time to consume. And if they do that, that gets me back to the next issue and stuff. But there's still that other level you're talking about of something that is just, I cannot wait for that next issue. I am enthralled with that universe. I, I want to be in there more and such. And that shouldn't be so so few and far between. But it is. And I think the problem is in addition to the things I've talked about already on they should do this, they should do that, or whatever. There's the obvious, don't go for the money grab, don't pause the universe for two months and interrupt everything, or yeah, you know, don't put a bazillion covers on things. I mean, this is tip of the iceberg, but I think the important tip of the iceberg. But part of it is with all of the reboots, all of the revoluming and constant shifting of creators and bold new directions and stuff, even if there is something that really hooks me, I mean... The Batman, Superman, World's Finest, or Justice Society, or for a while, Nightwing. Yeah. I know it's not going to stick, or I feel it's not going to stick, because it's either going to get interrupted by something, or it's going to have a new creative team and it goes to hell, or it's just going to get rebooted and never have happened. You kind of almost get this, I don't want to call it fear, but jadedness, whatever, where you're like, and will Mark Wade be here writing this book from two years from now? Probably not. And the next guy who writes it, I don't know. Probably not going to be as good a writer. Uh, you, you get that, are they going to reboot it at number one? It, it, all those things creep in to where you get this doubt. It's kind of baked in because of training. It, it's absolutely baked in. And even if you put all that aside and compartmentalize it and such and, and enjoy what you can while you can, and I certainly try to do that, there's an aspect, again, of, again, back of my mind creeping in, like you say. I know that given all the effort, say, Jeff Johns went to do the Retroboot Legion to the point of it concurrently existing for two years with the the then-current Legion before displacing it, only to have that literally evaporate in front of our eyes a few years later, what's the point? Yeah. You know, they have diluted their properties, they have cut down the the lifespan and and whatnot of their universes and the cultural currency is gone. It's hard to feel the energy sometimes for me to say, yep, it's really worth diving all in on some of this stuff. Yeah. I, I have a creeping fear and suspicion right now and it's literally I guess you could call it a fear right now. I I, I really enjoyed everything that Jonathan Hickman did with the X Men. The whole Krakoa thing, mm-hmm. all the the stuff. And with this fall of X or, or 
inferno, whatever they're calling it. I, I don't want them to put it back. I don't want to go back to the, the mansion. I just really don't want to go back to where it started, even though people are nostalgic for that time frame. And I, I used to read them when they were in the mansion, you know? What was the point at that point? You know, you're like, we're, we're not progressing. We're just we're regressing. No, no, just tell me a, a, another cool story moving forward from this point. Don't reset it, please. <laughs> I think their, their exit path should be for ending this era, keep Krakoa going, set the mansion back up, and it is essentially just a school-slash-embassy for Krakoa. I would be cool with that. Almost like the Strange Academy type thing, you know? Something like that. Have a little bit of a split. Have some people be kind of exiled there. It's You can come to Krakoa, but don't. But don't. <laughs> the outcasts are over here. <laughs> and the outcasts may be the classic X-Men or something. I don't know. I would be cool with that. I mean, there's there's ways to do it, but... If it feels like the last couple of years since House of X, Powers of X is, you know, we're closing the chapter, we're kicking it to the curb, and it's never going to be that way again, it was a fun read, but... that That's where you, you feel jaded as a reader, and you get put off a little bit. Well, yeah, I've been around the block for a couple of narrative continuities now at Marvel and DC, more so at DC, because yeah. it's funny, because at one point I thought Marvel had rebooted more than DC, because at one point Marvel had just kind of, yeah, continuity... Who cares? Whatever. It, maybe the story is in the ultimate line. Maybe it's in the the main line. Who cares? And DC had in story done Crisis and Zero Hour and a few things like that. But it's gotten to the point where so many of these characters have had their backstory kicked in the blender so many times. I don't know what the backstory is, and if and I know the creators don't or don't agree with it either. Yeah. And to me that is tantamount to a lower quality in those comics because it's on unstable foundation and often contradicts itself because, yeah, what the hell? And that, yeah, going back to the Brawlinator's question before the what could be done, am I, you know, less enthused? Yes. Do I want to be that way? No. But it's an honest reaction to the books being published. Honestly, you know what? If you still have friends at CBR or whatever it is, or if you have contacts at Marvel or DC, compose your little list and say, from a reader's perspective, or from the comic page group, some ideas we just had. <laughs> share with your writers, share with your editors. And the, the podcast will be out there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if there's like listeners. I hope there are from Marvel and DC. I hope editors are listening. I hope writers are listening. And I hope they take this in the spirit it's intended. I'm not trying to knock the people doing the current job and stuff. I don't think the current batch of editors has anywhere near the background or the training that classic editors of past years, you know, Julie Schwartz's and others of, of some pretty high caliber that came out of like the sci-fi book background and stuff like that. They, they simply don't have it. No, I, 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 think, I think writers and a lot of editors are on an island right now. They, 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 they have maybe a Zoom meeting or they have a meeting here or there or writers retreat once a year. But beyond that, they're, they kind of just send an email, do this, do that. And they, the writers just write at home and don't talk to anyone else most of the year. I think there's an opportunity out there that Marvel's more likely to take up than DC, but both have the potential of doing it, particularly with this level of AI type stuff going on. Yeah. Where they could have an automated system scouring podcasts, YouTube channels, blogs, Reddit, wherever pillaging the here's what's being said about our characters, our material, our, our comics, 
run it through the AI to get summaries of it and see what the, the trends are. Do people like what they're doing with certain characters? Do they not? Would it explain why certain characters that have been able to hold titles for 100 issues or more in the past can't do a year now? Maybe. Yeah. Whether it kicks back writers didn't, don't want Mary Jane dead. They didn't like this. <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm not, Mary Jane's not dead, by the way. I, I don't know. I'm literally just looking at a picture of her on issue 25. Well, we're recording this on a Tuesday. So on Tuesdays, I don't think she is. But on Wednesdays, I don't know who dies, but there's spoilers. I haven't read it, so I don't know. <laughs> well, again, in one book, she's one way. In another book, she's in a different status quo, yet they're acting like it's definitely the same Mary Jane, so I'm confused. And she has powers in one and not in the other. It's like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's weird. And this goes to write the character you're writing, treat the reader with respect, you know, all of these things. I hope these kids are going to be sticking around. I hope they don't just disappear. <laughs> That's the problem. I hope they don't stick around and they do disappear. Yeah, I kind of do too. At the same time, yeah, let's pretend like this just didn't happen. <laughs> this goes to put your building blocks of your continuity in place carefully. They didn't. Yeah, I think this was a train wreck right now. This is a... They, there are so many things... I, I, I don't know. I may go through as I read my, my May books... And try to say, it's like, okay, which of these are examples of, you know, which of these things I've, I've talked about here? You know, they didn't read their backstory. They, they're not thinking about <laughs> the, the building of the continuity. This is going to have to get undone. Why did the editor allow this? <laughs> yeah. What were they thinking? I'm yeah. afraid if I were to do that, though, the next monthly comic spotlight may seem like I am just eviscerating all of the creators out there. And that's not my goal. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So... Again, this all stemmed from some questions from Brawlinator that were really great questions and really got me thinking and trying to articulate, you know, yes, I'm jaded and here's why and what they could do to improve it. Am I under any delusion that anything will change because of this episode? I would love it if it did, but no, I don't expect anything to. And by the way, on an aside, Brawlinator, great questions. Marvin, great questions. Travis, great question. Was it Travis? No. It was Jason. 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 Sorry. Jason, great Jason question. Jason was asking you all the questions, so of course you're going to say those are great questions. And yes, they were. Jason, and they were. They were the best questions ever because they were directed <laughs> to me. <laughs> no, but it, this is proof, proof in the pudding. If you guys ask questions for the monthly comic spotlight, we'll have some cool episodes afterwards. Just FY. Keep that up. Engagement drives content. Yes, it does. So please keep asking cool questions. We'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Again, this one really got me thinking and again, trying to articulate what I was what I was feeling and frustrated with and, and how they could constructively change these things. This was a fun episode. I enjoyed this and Brawlinator, great question, man. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else? No, that pretty much does it for me. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.